Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can consider this fruit of faithfulness. And I pray that you would produce that in us. Um, You have been doing that in us. And I pray that you continue to do it until um, the end of our days, Lord, and until you come. I pray that you would bless this sermon to the building up of your people in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. I think uh, in the chat, yeah, you have the notes there. I'd like to begin by asking a question. What comes to mind when you hear the word unfaithful? You know, it's probably that word um, is associated with broken marriages or cheating on a spouse. You know, what about the word untrustworthy or disloyal? That could probably bring up images of betraying a friend slandering someone, even scams. Just this morning, I read on the news a man charged with defrauding donors, siphoning almost a million dollars, you know, so that he could pay off personal expenses. Untrustworthiness, disloyalty, um, that's, that's the world we live in. Um, but as Christians, and we, we know that we're not immune to unfaithfulness either, and people can be unfaithful to us, and, and we can be unfaithful to others. But they're not just the really big, devastating things like adultery. They can be the little things that are a pattern in someone's life. For example, do you keep your promises? Do you let your yes be yes, your no be no? If you say you're going to be there for a meetup or a call, um, do you have a habit of flaking or constantly having to postpone uh, for, for reasons that aren't really great? You know, what does that say about how trustworthy your words are? And then the other danger is that we become afraid of disappointing people and failing to follow through. And so we just become noncommittal and kind of evasive with our answers. You know, but does that communicate faithfulness to a person? So this is why we need wisdom to know what faithfulness looks like. And we also need to be constantly exhorted to faithfulness. And because we're fair not being exhorted, our, our tendency is to be like the world, is to be unfaithful to our God and to each other. So I want to think more about faithfulness, uh, this fruit of the Spirit. Um, if we remember back in Galatians 5, uh, the, the fruit of the, the Spirit, love, joy, and so on, it, it's first vertical. You know, it, we understand it. it's, it's when we look at God and his perfect demonstrations of each fruit or each aspect of fruit, love, joy. Um, that's when we understand how that ought to be produced in our lives, right? And, and this fruit is, is not just something within us, but it's expressed outwardly. And it's what we show to other people, particularly in the church, to other Christians. So there is an interpersonal aspect to each fruit of the spirit. Uh, if you look in your notes, uh, I gave you the definition um, that Keller gives, and it goes like this: pistis, or the Greek word for faithfulness. It's faithfulness, loyalty, courage to be utterly reliable and true to your word. Its opposite is to be an opportunist, a friend only in good times, and its counterfeit is to be loving but not truthful, so that you are never willing to confront or challenge. 
And you notice in that description of faithfulness, what I just said to you, how, how faithfulness should be um, also reflected in our horizontal relationships. Um, and as Keller give, does in his uh, definition, it's helpful to consider what faithfulness is not, right? Faithfulness to a friend is not just when things are pleasant, but when things are hard. Um, you know, maybe it's affected by sin or suffering, whether it's yours or theirs. You know, faithfulness is not a commitment to saying what's easy or what's funny or what's lighthearted, even though, you know, all those things could be present. But faithfulness is a commitment to saying what's true and gentleness and love. So let's continue this list. You know, what else is faithfulness? Not, is it not? Faithfulness is not saying yes to everything. Faithfulness requires wisdom in saying no. You know, saying no is something we need to learn. To say no to an opportunity to serve, to hang out, uh, to, to good things that you could do, but in your present circumstances, it, it's not the most excellent thing. Faithfulness is not controlled by what's called the tyranny of the urgent. You know, there are, in, there are certainly urgent and important matters that, that demand our immediate attention, uh, but urgency in itself should not be the standard of why we do what we do. So an example of this is that maybe you have a midterm later in the day and you're cramming for this midterm because earlier in the week, you spent time on video games or, or just hanging out. And now because this exam is coming, it's urgent and, and you're cramming for it. And some of your commitments for that day fall by the wayside. Maybe it's, it's a meetup with a friend or your devotions. So to be clear, I'm not saying you, you can't postpone a meetup um, or whatever. You know, I, I, I do it. You know, things come up. There's grace. But the question is, you know, is that a habit? And, and what were the reasons for why you postponed it? You know, did you have time earlier in the week? to study for that or take care of your responsibilities. So faithfulness is also not just getting a bunch of stuff done, you know, although it could look like that. And I would say it's not even the feeling of productivity, you know, even though that feeling is good, um, the feelings can be misleading. For example, you might have gotten a lot of things done and you felt productive that day, but maybe you didn't put time into a relationship or a project that was legitimately more of a priority. Or, or maybe you got a lot of things done, but you were short with people who were too slow, people who got, who got in your way, or, or people who were an interruption to your plans. And, and you, were, you, were, you weren't able to gently and patiently say, hey, um, I'm sorry, I'm doing this. Is it okay if we, if we talk after? Faithfulness is also not just working hard. And Francis has given this illustration multiple times. You can be laboring earnestly, but you can be heading in the wrong direction, right? So that's why the psalmist in Psalm 127 verse 2, Pastor Kim preached on this, he says, um, it, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. You know, why, why is that in vain? Well, it's because the Lord is not in it. You know, you're working hard but without spending time with him, without acknowledging him in the work that you're doing, um, not doing it in the Lord's strength and not doing it for the Lord. That's why scripture says that would be in vain. You know, wh why are you working so hard? For what purpose? That same verse that I just read, it ends 
for he gives to his beloved sleep. You know, sleep is what God gives. You know, there's a reason the Lord didn't work all seven days in creation. He instituted the Sabbath. Faithfulness can mean rest. You know, not just working all the time, but rest and sleep. Also, faithfulness is not about how gifted you are. And you remember the parable of the talents when the master gave three servants, um, five talents, two talents, and one talent. Um, faithfulness is not about having the most talents. It's about what you do with what you've been given. You know, what, what you do with your gifts and talents. Um, for example, I'm, I'm not as smart as many of my seminary friends. Um, some of them are scholars, academics, and they'll go on and get their PhDs. And I praise God for them, you know, um, because the church will benefit from the use of their gifts. And I don't need to worry about serving the way they're serving. And that is freeing. You know, I can trust in the goodness and sovereignty of God that with the two talents that I have, you know, I can be faithful to that. Faithfulness is also not about the results. Jeremiah, uh, if you remember, uh, Old Testament prophet, he, he's, also, he's actually known as the weeping prophet. And he serves for more than 40 years, more than 40 years being faithful to proclaim the message that God wanted him to, to preach. And what was the result of his ministry for over 40 years? You know, were there thousands converted under his ministry? No, there were no converts. And some, some say there were none. Some say there were two, you know, under his ministry, regardless whether it's a few or none, you know, does that sound like a successful ministry to you by the world standards? So faithfulness is not about the number of people who come to Christ through you, through your evangelism. You know, it's faithfulness is about not being afraid to proclaim Christ and his saving message to the people in your life and doing it with wisdom, with love and with conviction. Faithfulness is also not always immediately observable. You know, like Francis said about goodness in his sermon, um, it's a commitment for the long haul. Faithfulness is tested over time. You know, that's why the, the girl or the guy that you might be interested you know, in Beacon or WCF, whatever, you know, you most likely won't get married the next day. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, for arranged marriages, it might work, um, even though you don't know the person. But even, even that example, you know, the parents will likely attest to their child's faithful character, right? So the point still stands. Faithfulness is tested over time. Okay, so these are some things that faithfulness is not and, and we shouldn't confuse with. And so if we are to grow in the fruit of faithfulness, we should understand what faithfulness is and uh, what it should look like in our lives. So the next section, of what are we called to be faithful in? So there are three ideas that I want to address. First, faithful as a steward. Second, faithful in your roles. And then third, faithful to a person. So first, faithful as a steward. If you were an owner of real estate in a house and you wanted to hire someone to manage your property, you know, what would be the most important quality you're looking for? 
Is it savvy business skills? You know, so that this person can make the most profit out of what you entrust to him or her. Or is it somebody that you get along really well with? You know, how, how you like this person? You know, both qualities are good, savvy business skills and likability. And, and ideally, both should be there. But it wouldn't do you good if this shrewd manager proves to be untrustworthy and you find out he's stealing from you. Or if this likable manager proves to be less than competent and makes you lose your property. You know, you want somebody who is trustworthy, somebody who's faithful, um, somebody who will faithfully carry out the role of managing your property. Beacon, I want to ask you, I wonder if, if that's how you want to be known as college students or as a young adult, that you are faithful trustworthy and committed to the Lord? Or is it more important to you that you're known as smart, that you're known as intelligent, funny, well-liked, competent? You know, is it more important to you that you're known as a diligent, hard worker, successful enough to land a decent paying job, but at the cost of faithfulness? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful. Yeah, now, to, uh, to be sure, Paul's talking about apostles and leaders in the church that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, and what is this mystery, mysteries of God? Earlier, he says that's the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, it's the gospel. So leaders in the church are stewards of the gospel. But the idea of stewardship applies to you too. Because you've been entrusted with the gospel. And you may not have a formal office as a teacher of God's word, but you have been given the gospel and as someone who has believed the gospel, you've received it. And what you have received is not meant to be buried under the dirt. It's meant to be treasured in your heart and given to others. So as a steward, the most fundamental, important thing that has been entrusted to you is the gospel. And everything else, uh, even in the list that I've given to you, everything else that you've been given frames this, this one thing, the gospel that you've been entrusted with. And, and I say this because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And in that context, our physical bodies are jars of clay. But what is that treasure? It's the knowledge of God's glory that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so what else has been interested to you? You know, you've been given a body, a physical body, a mind, uh, time, finances, possessions, experiences, gifts, talents, skills, abilities, and interests. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you've been entrusted with, and I'm only going to comment on a few. So, for example, one, your, your body. You know, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, Paul says, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So Paul's saying godliness is of greater value than bodily training. 
you know, but that doesn't mean that you neglect to take care of your body, you know, whether that's sleep, exercise, or diet, because our bodies are vessels in which we carry out the work of the Lord. So a physical, a poor physical condition will affect us spiritually, how we love people, how we serve. It has the potential to make us more irritable, to grumble, complain, and, and to be less zealous and eager to do good works. So for example, college students and sleep. You know? um, of course, you know, I'm not saying that we can ever stay up late into the wee hours of the morning because uh, we don't want to arbitrarily put you know, just rules and stuff. Um, but if that's a pattern, and it's affecting our responsibilities, then we should ask ourselves, are we reflecting faithful stewardship of the body? And if we say that Christ is preeminent in everything, as it says in Colossians 1.18, if we say that Christ is preeminent, first place in our sleep as well, um, then that should affect the way we think about sleep. And Proverbs 20, verse 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. So as young people, are, are we stewarding, and I say we because I think I'm young too, but are we stewarding our energy and strength well? Or, as college students, are you wasting your strength in things that are not so profitable? Um, and you, you're not just a steward of your body, but time. So does the way that you spend those late nights reflect that God owns your time and that he's given you that time to steward. Also, um, with regard to finances and possessions that God has entrusted to you, I, I just want to say that I, it's been encouraging for me to see uh, some of you who have the privilege of owning or having a car, you know, using it at least last year to, to give other people a ride to church. That, that's a testimony to your faithfulness as a steward of, of that possession. And, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that, and, I, and I'm naming that example of faithfulness. Um, but as Francis pointed out last week, I'm sure that there are many ways in which you do good that are not noticed by others. And, and that might include also um, what you do with your gifts and talents and also your experiences. And by that, I mean the comfort and the grace that you have re received in whatever trial that you've gone through. For example, in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I've heard some of your testimonies um, and, and it could have been your, your salvation testimony, or it could have been testimonies of God's kindness to you in, in trials and in your suffering. There, there are stories of grace that, that we are not meant to withhold, because doing that would mean we're withholding the blessing, comfort, and encouragement that we can give to others. But when you share with me how you've seen God's faithfulness in your life in this past week, or in this very day, when you share that with me, that gives me an opportunity to praise God. Second Corinthians 4, 5 says, um, as grace extends to more and more people, um, it will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
And so that's what extending grace through sharing our stories of grace, that's what it enables other people to do, for other people to give thanks to the glory of God. All right, so showing this fruit of the Spirit means being a faithful steward of everything, and most importantly, the gospel that has been entrusted to us. So secondly, faithful in our roles. And according to Scripture, God has instituted uh, different authority structures under him. Um, There are generally three spheres of authority. Francis actually talked about this in Systematic Theology. Um, These three spheres of authority can overlap, but they are distinct. They are the family, the church, and specifically the elders in the church, and the government. So I would say that we're called to be faithful in our roles within these spheres of authority. So first, as a member of a family, uh, and, and this could certainly be as a husband, a wife, father, mother, but for all of us here in Beacon, it's as a son or a daughter. And as children, we are to honor our father and mother. And, and this could mean, and many of you are already doing it, you know, praise God. Um, and, and some of us will still be at home this semester. So it could mean helping out around the house with, with chores, carrying groceries, very tangible ways to honor our parents. Um, it could also mean that if, we're, if we have brothers and sisters, um, that, that we would be faithful to them. And you may or may not be close to your sibling um, and, and uh, you're in college. And, and as an adult, you, you might see them less and less from here on out. Uh, but you can never ignore um, that relationship because um, you'll always be connected to them. Um, for me, it, it wasn't until after college um, and actually pretty recently that um, I've gotten much closer to my older sister. Uh, she's she's um, a lot older than me, uh, 14, 15 years older. Um, and there are more opportunities now for me to love her, um, to listen to her when she shares with me some of the hard things she's going through. And that gives me an opportunity to, to counsel informally, you know, to give her the word of God. So we are a member of a family. We are also a member of a local church. And we'll talk more about this in depth um, in the section below on committed to his church. So I'll just skip it for now. Third, we are a member of society. So this includes being a citizen of our country, being an alien or resident. Um, And that means specifically submitting to the government, um, abiding by its laws, as long as they don't impinge upon our obedience to God. That's Romans 13. This could also be, you know, if you're working already, or if you're an intern, um, an employee, submitting to our boss, our earthly master. And in that realm of work, that also means being a faithful co-worker and producing the work that is reasonably expected of us. And I would say also, being a member of a society means loving our neighbor as ourself, having the spirit of a good Samaritan. What about for you um, this coming semester or year? Uh, many of you have roles and responsibilities in AACF um, or in other clubs, organizations. You know, I would say that those roles and responsibilities, you know that they're not necessarily musts, right? They're probably like a year-long commitment. Um, but they, even though they're not necessities or musts, they, they could be an application, right, of being a member of uh, society. So if you've committed to it, 
for however long it is, um, then that's another expression, uh, a place to be faithful in. So we talked about uh, being faithful as a steward, being faithful in your roles, and being now being faithful to a person. And what do I mean by that? In Acts eleven twenty three, Barnabas is exhorting believers. Um, he's saying he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So that's what I mean, faithfulness to the Lord. Um, and, and that includes being faithful to his people and his commands. First John 4.21 says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So if we say that we love God and we're faithful to him, then that means we have, we have to be faithful to his church, to his people. And secondly, Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So in short, faithfulness to God be, means being faithful to his people and his commands. So first, uh, committed or being loyal to his church. Christ says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. You know, what, what do you think of Lighthouse or the church that you grew up in? Is it fundamentally Pastor so-and-so's church? Because Lighthouse is not Pastor Kim's church or the eldest church. It's ultimately Christ's church. It belongs to him and him alone. So that's why Christ so closely identifies himself with his church. You remember Paul on the road to Damascus when he's blinded by a light from heaven? You know, what does Paul hear Christ say? Paul hears the risen Savior say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, not why are you persecuting my people or why are you persecuting my church? But why are you persecuting me? There is that close intimacy between Christ and his church. As an illustration, how would you feel um, if I said that USC is a whack school? You know, their football team is whatever. Their, their peace sign thing is lame. And I don't even know why people go there to study. You know, if you're a Bruin, you might think, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I agree. That's why I never went there to study. Um, but if you're a Trojan, um, I'm glad this is all muted. Um, anyways, if you're a Trojan, you'd probably think, okay, I think you went a little too far there, Seichi. Um, yeah, that's my school, you know? Um, and you, you might feel disrespected. Um, if that's what, you know, we feel about our school or whatever group that we associate ourselves with, it could be AACF, could be your family, you know, your ethnic background. If that's how you feel about those things, then how does Christ feel if we don't respect his people? What are we saying if we as individual Christians don't value the local church as Christ does, the very people for whom Christ died? What are we saying about his people if we isolate ourselves from the church? and become disengaged from the community. Because we know we're not saved to be free-floating Christians. We are saved into a body, and that body is visibly expressed through the local church. That's why at Lighthouse, uh, we encourage regular attenders to be members. You know, if you're not a member of a church, maybe you're working towards that, um, and that's good. 
but if being a member of a local church has not crossed your mind, um, and it's not a strong desire of yours, then I'd like to ask, you know, why not? There are several reasons for membership, but I'm just going to say one for now. Membership is a tangible expression of your commitment to Christ's church. And you might be thinking, why do I need to go through a formal membership process to show that I'm committed to his church? Um, and I thought that before, um, but I realized that, you know, to me, that's almost like saying, um, many of you know, I'm engaged to Ruthann. And so that's almost like saying, you know, I love Ruthann. She knows that I do, but why do we need a marriage license? And why do we need to go through a formal wedding ceremony with a declaration of intent and vows? I mean, come on. I mean, she, she, knows, she knows that I love her. Um, and if I really thought that, then, then you'd probably be a little bit concerned for our relationship. Um, so if you're a member of Lighthouse, um, I'd like to remind you now of the covenant that you made before God to this church. If you're not a member, uh, this is what you would be covenanting to if you became a member at our church at Lighthouse. Um, and they're actually included in your notes. So I will read them to you. This is the member's covenant to Lighthouse. As a part of God's family at Lighthouse, I commit to the following before God to the church. Personal growth and holiness through Sunday morning and small group attendance when possible, as well as through personal disciplines. Fellowship through being a part of other people's lives and allowing them to be a part of my life. Serving the church family through the use of the unique gifts that God has given me. Sharing the gospel with others. Sacrificial giving as a means of worship and to provide for God's ministry. Submitting to the church leadership. So as you can tell by all these verse references attached at the end, these commitments are really commands from scripture. You know, they're not things that are good and desirable things, but not necessary. You know, they're not just optional matters that more mature believers do. Now, this is a matter of faithfulness and unfaithfulness for a believer. Um, so Beacon, uh, if you're not yet a member and, and um, based on you know, your time here and your observations of uh, the people here and the church and the ministry, the leaders, uh, if you believe Lighthouse is a church seeking to be faithful to God and his word, um, then yeah, I wanna encourage you to consider Lighthouse's membership class. You heard it in announcements, it starts on the 30th. Um, membership is really for your good and for your joy. So to be loyal to Christ is to be loyal to his church um, and also to his commands, to his commands. And, and we, we've seen a lot of those commands um, just in the membership covenant. It's toward the church, but it's, it's a command or uh, that, that is also not just toward the church, but also toward unbelievers. And, and we find that in the Great Commission. So we are committed to his commission. And you're familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. I'll just read the first few words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So the task is clear. Um, it, it is true that we must evangelize and make disciples in our communities, in our neighborhoods and spheres of influence. But we cannot escape the call 
to go to all nations. And I agree that many of them are coming to us, especially if, if you're here in LA, they're, they're here, they're coming to LA, but, but many of them are not. And the charge remains, we must go. And according to one mission statistic, there are 3,100 language groups remaining that are still without disciples in a church among them. Who will go? I heard one missions leader say that it's often the special forces type who are eager and willing to, to go and risk their lives for the advancement of the gospel. But uh, the same leader says that the church needs to hear that there's a place in missions um, for the agriculturalist, the civil engineer, the accountant. And I would add the doctors, the nurses, business people, the software engineer. Because you cannot think and assume that you can never be a goer because of the profession or the career that you're studying for. Um, for restricted access countries, um, they're restricted. Traditional missionaries can't go anymore. And so if you have a skill set, then you have a greater chance of reaching those tribal groups and language groups that are in these countries, in these regions. Um, and for those who, for, for valid reasons, will choose to stay and, and not go, but be here, be local, uh, then, then we must be committed to Christ's great commission by sending and praying for our missionaries. And can I pray that there will be even one of you, you know, who hears this very message, that you will go with your trade, with your profession, for the sake of his name. And for the rest of us who will send and, and pray, uh, we must continue in the great work of making disciples here as college students. And, and so I want to encourage you, as difficult as it is, to be evangelistically minded, even this semester with everything being online. Um, as one example, um, at Lighthouse, we'll, we'll be offering Christianity Explored and also a new curriculum in October called Life Explored. And I bring this up because it's an opportunity for you to bring your non-Christian friend, unbelieving friend, um, and, and listen to the same content and afterwards to be able to talk about it. Um, so I bring that up just as an encouragement for you to, to be evangelistically minded. So we've taken a look at how we're all called to be a faithful steward of the gospel um, and everything that he's entrusted to us. And all of that in our various roles and, and being faithful to his church and to his commission. So if you're like me, then you'll say with Paul, like who, who is sufficient for these things? You know, it can be overwhelming if we are not properly motivated. So what are some of these motivations that will help us, that will spur us on? So in the next section, motivation of faithfulness. Um, I'm only taking a look at four. I'm sure there are others and many more. Our roles and responsibilities will be overwhelming if we don't remember and think often of the loveliness of Christ. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure everything. And how can Paul say this? Well, he says earlier in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So in other words, when we remember 
Jesus Christ, in all his loveliness, his glory, his excellencies, attributes, and titles, that's when we can endure and be faithful. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, the love of Christ controls us. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When we remember the lamb who was slain for us and the conquering lion with whom we will reign, that's when we are motivated to press on. But when we remember, um, when we don't remember him often and then start to have a weak, uh, a minuscule, distorted view of Christ, that's when we can become like the church in Corinth. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, he shows concern for this church because they started to question Paul's apostleship. So he says in verse three, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Led astray to something other than the true Christ, to something other um, than him who is truly satisfying and truly awesome. Do you believe that Christ is not just glorious, but infinitely glorious? If he is infinite and infinitely to be pursued, then you must never be content with what you know of Christ. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Okay, Uh, so secondly, we must remember and anticipate the commendation of Christ. This is why Christ says in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There are rewards for your faithfulness, treasures in heaven. In the parable of the talents, what does the master say to the servants he gave five talents and two talents to? The master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Christ does not think little of your good works for him, your labor of love and faithfulness toward him. Christ remembers them. Christ does not discount them or ignore them. And our ambition Paul says, should be to please him, to please him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And why is it that we should please him in the very next verse? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there is a reward for faithfulness. And we ought to remember and anticipate the commendation of Christ, to know that Christ will be pleased, to know the joy of our master. Third, we, to, to be motivated, to be encouraged, to be faithful, we ought to remember and imitate the faith of our leaders. And first, I want to say that we should imitate the faith of our leader with a capital L, referring to Christ. Um, so how did Christ exercise faith? It says in 1 Peter 2.23, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So how did Christ persevere in suffering? He entrusted himself to God, to God who judges justly. But also, how did he press on? In According to Hebrews 12, verse 2, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So just as our Savior pressed on in faithfulness for the joy that was set before him, so we press on in faithfulness for the joy that is before us and the joy and pleasure of our Master. And, and we see not just in Christ, but in Rome, uh, Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, we, we see countless examples of people who have gone before us who have exercised faith. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I could go on and on about that, but not just people recorded in scripture, but Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And that's what you and I should be doing for uh, our, our leaders uh, to remember them, to consider their way of life, the outcome, the result of their way of living. You know, our elders, Pastor Kim, Pastor Francis, the staff, um, including me, look at your leaders and observe them and let their faith, let their pursuit of Christ inspire you to be faithful to Christ. So fourthly, um, this is the last one, remember and declare God's faithfulness to you. And declaring God's faithfulness is something that we should be constantly doing. I mean, that, that, that's basically saying, you know, giving thanks to God in prayer. Psalm 92 verses one and two says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. God's faithfulness is to be declared. So God is faithful in saving you. Um, according to Ephesians 1.4, we know that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Um, but in time, God has brought us to salvation. He, he was faithful to do what he did in eternity past. So how is God faithful in saving you? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How did God show his faithfulness in bringing you as an unbeliever to himself? Who was it in your life? Was it your parents, your church, a, a youth leader, an uncle, aunt, grandparents, a classmate, a friend? They were instrumental in how God faithfully brought you to salvation. Secondly, God is faithful when you are suffering. First Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Even in your suffering, you can believe and trust that God is faithful, not in spite of the suffering, but in your suffering. Third, God is faithful when you are tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll, provide, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in other words, you're never already guaranteed to give in to temptation. 
And that's because God is faithful to not let you be tempted with something that you cannot endure. You can endure it. But what happens if you do give in to temptation? And not just once, but it seems like a temporary lapse in your faith. It's, it could be a repetitive thing. God is faithful when you are faithless. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 13. Um, it might be good to actually have your Bibles to read those verses. Um, 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. You could just look it up too. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So when it says in verse 12, if we deny him, that is reflecting what Jesus said. Uh, it, it's, it's a permanent kind of denial. If you do that, then, then Christ will deny us. But verse 13, if, if we are faithless, so it seems like th- th- this is contrasted. If, if you are faithless in, in a temporary kind of way, Christ remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He will finish the good work that he started in you. And this is so sweet because you see it in Peter. You remember Peter's example uh, in John 21? How did Christ treat Peter after Peter denied him three times? And that wasn't a permanent denial, but he did deny him three times. Was Peter shunned by Christ? Peter was restored, and Peter was told to feed Christ's sheep. And that is the confidence that we have with Christ, uh, that he and God, that God is faithful, uh, even when we are faithless. And God is faithful in forgiving us, according to 1 John 1, 9. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And not only is he faithful to forgive us, God is faithful in sanctifying us. And this is the great promise that we have in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. This is a benediction that you've heard on a Sunday morning before. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he say in verse 24? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Without a doubt, he will surely do it. So our hope is not in our ability to keep faithful. It is in God's ability. It is in God's faithfulness to keep us faithful. And this is what inspires loyalty, what inspires commitment. It's God's faithfulness towards us. Great is thy faithfulness. His great faithfulness to us is what motivates and inspires our faithfulness to him. So we can, uh, may you as college students, uh, USC just started, UCLA and other schools will start soon. May you um, be known and marked for your faithfulness and loyalty to Christ. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, evidenced in so many ways in scripture. And certainly even in our week, even this day, you have shown your faithfulness to us, God. And we are compelled and motivated 
to want to be faithful to you. So I pray that in our discussion tonight through small group, that you would just um, continue that work to, to spur us on so that we may be uh, zealous for good deeds and, and to continue without growing weary. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.